Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 14th, the Marching Band Clown Pants Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. I'm the father of Eliza, who's eight years old, and Leo, who is four. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my beautiful stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carva Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about how to tell your daughter that her dad is not her biological father, and another about a kid who always, always, always has to win. Plus, as always, uh, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll make recommendations, and on our Slate Plus segment, we're going to talk Girl Scout cookies. But first, it's time for triumphs and fails. Carvel, you want to go first? You got a triumph or a fail? I have back-to-back fails. After... A long streak, a long win streak. My win streak has finally come to an end, parenting-wise. My back-to-back fails are that I got into screaming fights with my kids successively on Monday morning and Tuesday morning. Monday morning, Georgia and I got into it, and tempers flared. And then Tuesday morning, Ezra and I got into it, and tempers flared. And and uh, and I gotta say, um, you know, they're teenagers and all that, and teenagers are frustrating. And getting and you know, being having your buttons pushed by your teenage child is certainly nothing new. But I do have to say that, like, by the end of the second fight, I was like, I feel like the common denominator here is me because I completely <laughs> got into it. And so, like, the first on Monday, Georgia got into the car to go to school and was we were relatively on time. Ezra was actually that morning Ezra was well on time too. And so got in the car and then Georgia realized that she couldn't find her phone. She couldn't find it. So she's looking around for it. And then she's like looking under the seat for it. And then she's like, I know I had it. I swear I had it. And like meanwhile the clock is ticking. Then she's getting out of the car and she's like looking around to see if she dropped it. And I'm like, you know what? We actually gotta go. We can't make Ezra late. Like it's fine if you don't have your phone. You probably have it with you, but if you don't, like, wh- you know, whatever. And she's like, no, I, you, you have to go and find my iPhone and, and ping my phone. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't, I don't even have you on my, find my iPhone. And she's, well, I have to get mom to do it. So she like, so she like runs upstairs and t- tries to get her mom and then blah, blah, blah. One thing leads to another and we realize that her phone was in her bag the entire time. But at this point, she's like yelled at everyone in the family. She's made us like 10 minutes late because she's gone through this whole thing. And the whole time I'm like, look, you just, you don't, okay, if you don't find your phone, you don't have it. That's fine. You don't need your phone every day. You just come home. She's like, but I have to make plans for my friends after school. And I'm like, yeah, but if you don't have your phone, you can't do that. So you just come home from school like afterwards. Like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a whole thing. You don't have to like spend every day with your friends, you know. And so she's mad and I'm mad. And at some point, I was like, I'm just mad because you were willing to make us all late so you could find your phone. And then she goes, no, Dad, I was willing to make us all late because I have a social life. 
At which point, which like was a really great thing because that just Ezra just like immediately he'd been sitting quietly listening. But at that point, he was like, I'm going to roast you for that sentence for the rest of your life, Georgia. Like, Mm. you're never not going to hear me (laughs) remind you that you at some point said that. But she got really mad and I got really mad. And we have this thing where we we get along really well. But when we both get mad, neither of us wants to talk. So we dropped Ezra off and then we just <laughs> drove I drove her on to school in stony silence. I was mad at her for being a teenager and she was mad at me for losing my temper with her and you know and when she gets mad she goes nuclear. She says stuff like I don't even care. Like at one point she was like you can't say anything to me because I don't even care what you have to say anymore. I'm too old to care what you have to say. <laughs> like and I'm just like what are you talking about? So she got out of the car and then I, I was like, "Ugh, why? Why did I let that happen?" Like when you're fighting with a child, you're fighting with a child. You're a grown person fighting with a child. It doesn't matter what they're doing. You're still an idiot for being a grown-ass adult fighting with a teenager. Uh, and then the next day, Georgia and I, I mean, Ezra and I got into it on, like, some politics shit because he and I have been beefing about politics over the last little while. And and uh, I don't want to get too, too far into it just for the sake of time. But, like, it's a thing, you know, and we're, we're butting heads as fathers and sons are want to do in adolescence and at the end of that i just texted both of them in the group chat and was like look obviously i've been a little edgy the last two days i'm really sorry like i don't i mean we get frustrated but i don't want to like fight with you guys and i don't want to yell at you it makes me feel terrible and i love you and you know we have to figure out a better way and that was more or less it and then we sort of resolved it and you know this morning was fine but yeah i just back to back yelling fights with teenagers was my fail hmm. yeah Never a good look. <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna go next. I I have a fail. Um, it, it's from the weekend. Uh, we 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 went to see the Lego Movie two, and I was excited to see the Lego Movie two, and Leo was excited to see the Lego Movie two, and and like that had been the plan. Like, okay, on Saturday we're gonna go see the Lego Movie two. Me and the kids. It's gonna be fun. And then it was the morning, and I was like, okay, we're gonna go see the Lego Movie two. And Eliza was like, eh. I don't really want to go. And I was like, I mean, obviously, like, she has to go. Like, it's not like her, there's anybody, like, there's nobody at home. Her mom was busy. Like, this is me taking care <laughs> of the kids. She can't just, like, stay home by herself while me and her brother go see the Lego movie, too. So, like, her not going is not really an option. So I, like, was like, well, you have to go. But, like, I thought you wanted to see this movie. It's going to be fun. She's like, yeah, I'm not that interested. I'd rather stay home and read my book. I'm like, you can bring your book and read the book in the movie theater if you really want. Obviously, she can't. It's too dark, but she doesn't know. But so she goes to see the Lego Movie 2. And we go see... I don't know if you guys saw the Lego Movie 1, but I thought the Lego Movie 1 was really good. And, and It was fantastic. It's, right, great. And and so now it's the sequel to the Lego Movie called the Lego Movie 2. And so we're going to go see it. And I don't know why we're not all psyched about this, but me and Leo are psyched. And so we go see it. And Lego Movie 2, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's awesome. It's better than Lego Movie 1. It addresses some of the the uh, gender politics shortcomings of the Lego Movie 1 in a really forthright and hilarious way. And, and it is in and of itself a, a subtler and more complicated but equally rich and exciting and amusing text. Um, and, and so we're really into watching Lego Movie 2. And the thing is... Eliza is into it too. I mean, of course she is because it, it's really funny and like it's a great adventure and there's all surprising things happening and it's Lego and like so she's 
super into it. She's not reading her book. She's like sitting there like super into the movie. And she's like, she grabs my arm at the exciting parts. And when there's feelings happening, I can tell she's like having the feelings and it's, and there's surprises. And she like whispers in my ear, like when she realizes what one of the upcoming surprises is. And like, so she's super engaged in this movie. And so I'm feeling really good because I got to enjoy a great movie, always a source of pleasure, but also I got to share it with my children, always a source of pleasure. So we come out of the movie theater and like, we're all, we all have that like, um, yeah, after seeing a good movie, you're like kind of pumped up and then we're going to go to, um, you know, we're going to go get brunch and, or, or I guess it's lunch at that point And we're like really psyched. And I start like getting really excited about it and being like, oh, I really love the part where this, and like, I think it's great how it was about this and all this thematic stuff about that. And I'm like really raving about the Lego movie too. And then I was like, so what did you think? Are you glad you went to see it in the end? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. And I realize I have overpraised the movie and like claimed mm. ownership of it for myself. That like mm. my excitement about the experience we just had has successfully boxed her all the way out and back to her initial position of ambivalence before she had this incredibly exciting and enjoyable experience of watching the Lego movie too. I have taken that experience retroactively away from her. Mm. Uh, so that is my fail. That's mm -hmm. deep. You actually did a really good job analyzing that, I think. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have it, just thought, like, she wants to be contrarian. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> she it's knows the I same thing. It. She, she, does, she wants to be contrarian. <laughs> she, does, she doesn't want to like the thing that her dad is super excited about liking and about right. her liking. She's eight years old now. She's not into that. Like, when she was four, when she was five, I could have done that, and she would have joined me on it. But she doesn't want to go on that ride with me now, and I should know that and not try to drag her along on the ride. Right. She also doesn't want to be trapped into saying, you were right. Oh, I should yeah, never right. have mm -hmm. said I didn't want to go. Absolutely. Because then she knows you'll have ammunition next time she says she doesn't want to go somewhere. You'll Absolutely. be like, but remember that time? Yeah. I made her yeah. enjoyment a vindication of my position and, and uh, <laughs> an attack on her own prior position. So, of course, she has to retreat to her own earlier position. It's like American politics where everything gets reduced to the same culture war. Parenting is like that. Everything gets reduced to the same fucking culture war. Okay. Abe, that might be the smartest thing you've ever said, <laughs> at least in my presence, because Aww. you've just you've really just cracked the code on why I, I why I feel like my relationship, especially with Ezra, does feel a lot like America 2019. Like, I'm just like, we keep having the same fight no matter where we start. We end up at this thing. And I think this last one, which was a fight that began with Cardi B, of all people, it it. It made me, I realized it, it is something like that. It's like we keep having the same fight no matter what the initial topic is, but I hadn't put two and two together until you just said it. So there it is, Gabe. That's your, that's, your, that's your triumph for this week. That's my triumph is defining parenting in terms of negative partisanship. <laughs> right? Nothing, nothing, nothing your opponent says can ever be okay. That's, <sighs> right. that's exactly right. Rebecca, triumph or fail. Give us a triumph. Make, make I got to fail. Re no, I got to fail. Ah, the make three fails. <laughs> and this, we did this, it. The, this was a fail at when it was happening. All I could think of was, I cannot wait to tell Gabe and Carvel about this. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's like <laughs> real time. So uh, this weekend was Teddy's um, 
Allstate Jazz Festival concert, which was a very big deal for him. And he left school on Thursday. It was There were two students from his school who were chosen after this like audition process. So they left school on Thursday with their music teacher. And it's one of those things where it's like three straight days of rehearsal. So they stayed in a hotel with like tons of sh- music teacher chaperones from around the state and stuff. And I didn't have a whole lot of information about um, the logistics of that part of it. I knew when the concert was. I had bought the tickets online. But I didn't know a lot about the actual, like, what his experience was going to be. So I asked him, his teacher, to send home, like, on, he left on Thursday. So, like, on Wednesday, I'm like, can you send him a packing list? Like, what should he bring just so that we can make sure that he has all the stuff he needs or whatever? So Wednesday night comes around. It's time for Teddy to pack. I'm doing a million things. I kind of put Kevin, like, a little bit in charge of it just to make sure that, like, he's good. And, like, you know, we don't know what concert dress is going to be. So it's like, bring your black pants, bring a white shirt, bring a black shirt, bring a tie you know, bring a toiletries, whatever. Teddy gets to the point where he's like, really, you know, later in the evening, I'm like, you want me to just check through your bag, make sure everything's like, no, I have everything I need. And I'm like, okay, you have everything you need. And I'm like, Kevin, are you sure? He's like, yep, I saw everything. Looks like he has everything he needs. So uh, fast forward to Saturday, we are driving down to this other school, which is about an hour away to go to Teddy's big Allstate Jazz Festival concert. The concert starts at one and we left at about... I would say like 11.45, so we get there in plenty of time. You know, I have like the handicap thing on my car. So like I was like, we have to get one of only like, I'm sure there'll be like two handicapped spaces. Let's try to get there so we can get one of them because, you know, it was cold and walking is still tough for me. So we're in the car driving down there and I get a phone call over the car speakers. We pick it up and this is 11.55. I have timestamps for all of this. And Teddy goes, (laughs) Mom. Why won't you respond to your text messages? And I'm like, I didn't see any of my text messages. So I pull my phone out of my bag and I have a text message from him from 1152. So he's calling literally three minutes after Mm -hmm. he sent it Mm -hmm. and he's screaming at me. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I brought two black shirts. I don't have any pants. And we're going on stage at one. (laughs) And I'm really upset about it. I don't know what to do. So I was like, all right, calm down. We're actually like, we have plenty of time. We will stop at Target. I knew there was a Target like halfway there. And we will get you some pants and we will be there. And he's like, you better because I don't have any pants. He's like really agitated and upset. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm in the car with Kevin, Teddy's brother, Henry, and Teddy's brother's girlfriend. And we are all, we hang up the phone and we all start like laughing hysterically. Like, of course, of course he doesn't have any pants. Like after putting all these safeguards in place to make sure he'd be a pack right, like, of course he doesn't have any pants because that's like the most important thing, right? (laughs) So we (laughs) scream into the Target parking lot, pull into the handicapped space, which is as close to the door as possible. And then Kevin and Henry sprint out of the car to Target. And I just think about like the optics of that, like the station wagon <laughs> screaming into the parking lot into a handicapped space and then two people running into Target to go buy pants. They're in there for about three minutes. They come out with pants and a belt. It was like $60. Mm-hmm. I'm ripping the tags off the stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm texting Teddy and I'm like, we have pants in hand. We'll get there as soon as we can. The navigation says we're going to get there at 1240. We are en route. Oh, look, we got the, we got the light. The navigation now says we'll be there at 1237. And then Teddy texts back. All right, well, it's no big deal because I literally just stole a pair of pants from the marching band outfits in this school's music room. <laughs> 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 and I texted him back. 
I'm not telling anyone you just texted me that, Teddy. You will wear these pants that we just bought you. <laughs> and you owe so me screaming. $60. <laughs> so yes. we're screaming down the highway, and then I keep getting attention. No, it's okay. I'm calm now. I'm really sorry. I panicked. I have pants. We're good. We're good. We're good. Anyway, oh, so man. we Poor go guy. into the auditorium. We sit down. His music teacher, who's been there the whole time, comes over and, like, we tell her the story. She tells us the story from his perspective, how upset he was, whatever, whatever. When it comes time for his ensemble to go on, it's a chorus. He walks out on the, like, risers, and he's wearing pants that look like they belong to a clown. They're, like, enormous. (laughs) (laughs) But then the worst part is it actually doesn't fucking matter because he's, like, a a bass. So he's, like, on the third riser back. And as soon as all the kids are standing on the risers, you can't even see his damn pants anyway. (laughs) So anyway, it was all for naught. The concert was great. But this is yet another, like, tale that will just go in the endless tales of, like, you think you're doing everything you can possibly do to foresee this exact situation. And the next thing you know, you have a pair of black Target pants and a new belt, both of which you've wrapped the tags off and you can't return that you spent $60 on. For no fucking reason. So I just choose to see it as, all right, you have an extra pair of concert pants now. Maybe this will never okay. happen again. Couple, couple things. One is you totally can return the stuff at Target. Their return <laughs> policies are notoriously lenient. They just okay. don't care. You know. As long as it doesn't have blood okay. or, or anything else on it, you can return any clothes at Target with as long as you have the either the receipt or the, you know, the credit card that you used. News you can um, use. Yes. Secondly, um, I don't know that there's a fail here. I mean, I really don't. Like, you did what parents do. You, you know, you like, you like were willing to like be down for your kid. I mean, obviously, he was stressing out and he put a lot of his sort of like um, atmospheric stress into this moment about the pants. And this thing is so, this, this is such a teenager thing to text a parent at like, you know, at 11.52 and then call them frantically at 11.58 being like, why don't you answer your text? Like that's <laughs> such an, a kid thing to do and maybe we do that too. But So I fully recognize that. But it sounds to me like the guy was just, he was freaking out over the whole thing. Okay. And so he was probably trying to play a it cool. Total, but this a total preventable is... tragedy, Carvel. It was a preventable tragedy right. and that I repeatedly tried to prevent this exact tragedy and we all failed at preventing the tragedy. We all failed. Yeah, but, uh, That's it's not. Fail. It's not a fail. It's a redundant success. It, it was a <laughs> redundant <laughs> triumph. Exactly. It, it was a triumph that, in the end, you didn't need. Congratulations, though. Right. You, you well, can still you. take it to the bank. <laughs> it's still going to be a good story to tell at his wedding. You exactly. know, his brother. As his brother's it already is saying, a really he good will story do. To tell. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> all right. Kids are a mess. That's that's the story. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Before we move on, let's do the business. Slate is launching a parenting newsletter, which will be the best way to get notified about all the parenting stuff we publish, including this podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, including the advice column, Karen Feeding, written sometimes by our own Carvel Wallace, including the Ask a Teacher column, much, much more. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email.
As always, if you have a question that you want us to answer on this show, you can email us at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 424-255-7833. If you're not in our Facebook group, today is the day that you join our Facebook group. And you do that by going on Facebook and searching for Slate Parenting. Today on Slate Plus, we are moving forward with this podcast's transformation into a snacks-oriented podcast with an entire segment on Girl Scout cookies. If you want to hear us talk about Girl Scout cookies, if you want to hear that segment and another like it every week, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our paid membership program. It's a great way to support the work we do. You pay just $35 for your first year. You get an extra segment in this show every week. You get no ads in any of your Slate podcasts, bonus episodes of many of our shows, so many other great benefits. Uh, join Slate Plus today and support Mom and Dad are Fighting by going to slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus. That's slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus. Okay, onward. Time to take a question now from a listener. This one came to us by email. If you maybe want to send us a question by email, why don't you do it? Mom and Dad at slate.com. Uh, that's where this person sent their email. Uh, now it's being read for us by Shasha Leonard. Hi, Mom and Dad are Fighting. I have a smart, funny, and well-adjusted nine-and-a-half-year-old daughter. She lives with me, my husband, whom she loves and thinks of as another dad, and her two-year-old sister. She visits with her dad, my ex, every other weekend and throughout the summer for vacations. My daughter has a great relationship with her dad, and he and I also still kind of get along well and remain good friends. However, the man she knows as her dad is not her biological father. He and I began dating when my daughter was about a year old and he subsequently raised her as his daughter. His name is on her birth certificate, and he retains all rights, responsibilities, etc. for her as if he were her biological father. Her biological father didn't speak to me after learning that I was pregnant until I saw him at his father's funeral years later. He and I talked, and he made it clear that he does not want any part in her life, which I'm totally fine with and agree is the best choice. I should note, in our family, we do not place emphasis on biological anything. My dad is actually my stepdad, which my daughter knows, and my husband's family refuses to use the words in-law. Everyone is a family member in love. I believe this will work as a strength in the situation, but I'm not sure how much of a buffer it will be. My question is, when and how should I tell my daughter about this? My ex's older children know the truth and haven't said anything to her about it that I know of. But it might just be a matter of time until she finds out when I'm not around to explain. Also, how do I explain to a nine-year-old that her biological father doesn't want to have a relationship with her, while also making sure she understands that it's his loss? I'm concerned that my well-adjusted kid is going to end up negatively affected by this, even though she's surrounded by multiple loving, caring men in her life. Thank you. I relate. I would just say that I relate to this scenario without going too much into my own past and childhood. But I have I have ways of sort of knowing this story from a, from different angles, and um, I feel like the the. the 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 letter writer is right that there's a lot to be concerned about here the belief that it will the concern that it will negatively impact the kid to find out that her biological father didn't bother as they say um is a real thing to be afraid of and also not a thing you can control 
And the the extent to which you can impact that, although you can't control a kid's response to that, the only way you can impact that is by surrounding that kid with many other examples of people who love and support that kid unconditionally and consistently. And you've already done that. So there's not much more you can do. It may have a negative impact. There's no way you can deliver this news that will prevent it from having a potential negative impact. There are ways you can make it worse. You could be like, your dad didn't want to hang out with you because you're a piece of shit, which I'm sure you're not going to say. But outside of that, if you say, look, there's this guy, technically your father, he didn't, he had a whole host of problems on his own. He didn't, he's not a part of your life. He doesn't, he didn't want to be. And honestly, screw him <laughs> because this, you know, you have a dad and it's me and, and I'm your mom and it's your dad. And this is the situation. I think that that's the best you can do. And your child's emotional response to that is going to be what it is. There is no way to do this where there's no emotional response is what I'm saying. And so that's one thing that I kind of want to relieve you of feeling the burden of that. You have to figure out some way to deliver this news in a way that doesn't yield some questioning on the part of your kid. That's not going to happen because it's a situation that anyone would question, including your kid. The other thing about, about when to tell if, if, other people in the family, especially other kids, know and your kid doesn't know, that's not a situation you want to go on for a super duper long time. That's a situation that you if you were like, well, she's an only child and no one knows, I would say, you know, you can wait till she's 18. I don't think there's any hurry with this. But having other people in the family, other kids in the family who know and she doesn't know, that puts her at a really difficult position. And it's going to come out somehow. Probably. And it may even already have has been my experience with things like this is that they come out without the parents sort of consenting to it usually. So I, I think as hard as it is and as scary as it is and as difficult as it is, I would argue that it's about time to have this conversation, to open it up. And it's a conversation that, I mean, like like all big parenting conversations, and I feel like I find myself saying this a lot to parents who are like, when should we talk about this? When should we talk about that? The answer is you don't just talk about it once, right? There is no the one moment you talk about it. There's a moment at which you might begin the conversation, but it goes on. And this is the case with any big stuff, whether you're talking to your kids about race, about body autonomy, about safety, about sexual assault, about consent, whatever you're talking to your kids about, there's not the talk, the one conversation. It goes on over time and she'll have questions and you'll have questions and it'll come up. But I think I would say that at nine and a half, you're probably okay to begin that conversation in as fairly straightforward a way as you possibly can. There may be some other smoother, slicker way to introduce it. I don't know. Like, I don't think of anything. Maybe other people, listeners or whomever, anyone else who's had an experience like this can say, here's like a, a cool way to do this. But in the absence of that, for me, I would probably just say, hey, look, I, I need to talk to you. There's something that I feel like you should know because you're old enough to know now. And here's the situation. <laughs> and I think you should say exactly what you said in this letter. There was this guy. He's technically your biological father. He's never been a part of your life. He hasn't shown up for your life in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't seem to want to. I don't think he's that great, great a guy for that particular reason. Your your father is your father. This guy is just the, you know, just the sort of like technical person. But uh, and that's the way it is. And as you get older, you may want to find out more about that. And I'll tell you everything I know. But I, you know, I don't know that much because we're not in touch. The other the reason you have to do this is, and this was the case in my experience when I had to start sort of like sorting out some questions around my biological father, 
is like for health reasons. I mean, you have to know what your DNA is and what stuff is happening. And so that's a difficult thing to sort out. And your kid doesn't have to worry about that at nine. But that's why it eventually needs to be done. And you can't keep it a secret forever. I don't think it's a good idea to do that. But I think the fact that older kids in her family know means that it's sort of like now time to get this conversation started. I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree with you. That was actually the factor for me, too. That really pricked my ears up because this is a complicated situation. Um, this mom is uh, has a new uh, partner or we don't know how new, but like so this girl already has like a step and she has the man she knows as her dad. Um, and if nobody knew except for the three of them, I would say this might be a conversation that could wait until you feel more comfortable rolling it out. But because other kids know, there's a weird dynamic there. I think there's a chance she might already know or have heard and be wondering and be afraid to ask. There's also a chance that, you know, that does that sort of knowledge, not knowledge between siblings can create like a power disparity that can cause some damage in the long term. So that's the other reason I would disclose. I would also consider, you know, if you really are good friends with her dad, the man that uh, is her dad in every way, he's on her birth certificate, he's taking all rights, responsibilities, Abilities. He's doing visitation. He is in every way her dad. If you guys are as good friends as you claim to be and you have a good relationship, I would consider whether or not it might be worth it to tell her together. Um, she has a lot of other people in her life, including what sounds like a really great stepdad that she can then, you know, people know that she's going to learn that and, and you can invite her to say, hey, you know, feel free if you have feelings about this that you don't want to share with us. Talk to your siblings, talk to your stepdad, you know, everyone um, really wants to be there for you and support you and answer your questions. And, you know, we understand if you have questions, you might not, you know, be quite ready now. But we want you to know that, like, we're all here for you and our feelings won't be hurt if you go to somebody else and ask a question and just, you know, make sure as a family you're kind of all on board with that. I think that there's a lot of power in the two of you presenting a united front on this as much as it's possible to do so. And I would strongly consider adding that to the equation. Yeah, I think that's that's really wise that um, if if you, the mom, tell her on her own, uh, it becomes a question of like, is this a is is this an injury to her dad? Is this something that it takes her away from her dad? Having him there in the conversation with you when she finds out maybe helps to to protect against that a little bit. In terms of what you say about the the biological father, um, I feel like when when you have to tell her like yes, there's this man who is the biological father who contributed the genetic material that that helped create you, and now he doesn't want to have anything to do with you tough message. Um, and, and, and you have to say basically like, and that's his loss because you're wonderful. Um, but there's also, uh, you might be tempted to say, and he doesn't want anything to do with you because he's a shithead, which is probably true. But I don't know that you want to say it as harshly as that, even if it's true, because she will feel some connection to this person regardless of of how little or negative involvement they've had in her life. This, he's going to be a person that now exists in her mind that she wonders about, that had something to do with her creation that she in some way comes from. And if you construct him as just nothing but a shithead, then there's the, I would worry that that attaches to her idea of herself in some way, that it's going to be really easy for her First of all, to have, you know, to, to think that he doesn't want anything to do with her because it's her fault. And then for that to get wrapped up in the idea that she's connected to this shithead. Um, 
And that's a tough set of feelings. She's going to want to know about this guy. And if there's a way that you can give her some version of him that can exist in her mind separate from what a monster who doesn't want to have anything to do with his own wonderful child, I think that would be helpful. If there are stories you can tell her about him, not so that she can like pine for him and hope he's going to come back and rescue her and take her away to a palace or something like that, but just so that she can have a version of him in her head that's not entirely shitty, I feel like that might be useful, but it's a tough line to walk, I know. You know, I mean, I I hear where you're coming from with that, and I just, I think that, uh, I think that honesty is the best policy, and I think whatever the honest truth is, is what it is, and like... I don't think you have to lean into he's a he's a ass bag if you know like you don't have to overplay that but I also think that it it's it's worthwhile look this is difficult there's no way to deliver the news I guess this is kind of what I'm saying that isn't going to make the kid do many of the following things wonder what would happen if her dad was involved feel like it's personal that her dad wasn't involved harbor some fantasies that her dad is going to return and and make her whole with the love that he has denied her I feel like there's no way to deliver this news that's going to keep those things from happening. That's just the natural response to news like this. It's just the situation. Just, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a fact. It's like if your kitchen's on fire, you can't say my kitchen's on fire without making the people in the house panic. There's no smooth way to deliver that. And so I think it's the same with this. It's just one of the responses to a situation like this is that those things are going to happen for the kid. So I don't know that there's that you can do do anything. I think, therefore, in the absence of like the ability to impact the, her emotional response, all that's left is honesty because she's going to be looking for answers for a long time. She's going to want to know the whole truth. Why did you? Why were you with this guy if he was so terrible? Why did he go away? Well, why didn't he do this? Well, how, how come you didn't make him stay? Why? She's going to have questions for all that. And like the more that you sort of, the more that she senses that you're trying to organize and hold and, and and manipulate part of the story, the more intense she's going to be on finding answers for herself. So I think that there has to be a certain level of just sort of willingness to be honest and complete. I you did like him, turned out, you know, I was disappointed with who he turned out to be. Here's what I think, you know what I mean? Like whatever the story is, I think you kind of have to be honest about it. I totally agree with that. I, I, I think the way to do what I'm talking about is to do it in an additive, honest way. The, it seems from, from the letter... Uh, it seems as though this this was a person who she had some kind of a relationship with until he found out she was pregnant and then he walked away because he's a shithead. It, it, it seems like he, he, he it seems like the daughter wasn't, for instance, conceived by rape, which would be a, a different set of communication problems. So there was something good about her conception. Right. There was something good about what produced her. There was something between the biological father and the mother. Like she liked some aspect of him at some point enough to sure. like sleep with him. And then, and then he turns out to be a fucker. Um, and I think if you're going to communicate all of this to her, you have to include that piece of it as well, both because that's part of the yeah, honest truth, but also because that gives her something to hold on to. That's not just like your dad is a fucker. There's one like tricky yeah. aspect to this that I've you know seen up close. I have a friend who I know listens to this podcast. I'm not going to reveal too many details, who had a very similar situation with her son. And 
basically he just didn't want to be a father. So they broke up when it turns out that she was pregnant and she, you know, went on to have him and he's wonderful. And she was always very honest with him about the fact that her dad didn't, his dad didn't want anything to do with him. And when he was younger, I remember him sometimes saying like really like um, jarring things about it. Like he would joke about being a bastard, for instance. I remember him doing that when he was like nine and being like, whoa. Um but what I think added a layer of complication to it was, you know, he was always kind of aware that this guy was out there and would get news about him through other channels, i.e. this guy's other extended family who wanted to have a relationship with this kid. So he knew he existed in the world. And this guy went on to get married and have other kids with somebody else. So that added this like layer of complication of he just didn't want me. Mm. Um, so... I'm not sure what my friend would say in retrospect about it. I don't think she expected it would turn out this way when when they had, you know, they're very close and they have a very honest relationship. I don't know if she would say, and I, I would love to ask her this, like, would you message that differently? Would you say, you know, he wasn't ready at the time um, to have kids and that, you know, didn't work. I, I don't know, because that that's like, that's something you kind of need to think about is in 20 years, if she decides she's very curious and wants to reach out to him by then like he might be a completely different person he might have different circumstances he might have his life may look completely different he might be uh ready to have at least some kind of connection or not i mean maybe not but like the the forever closing of the door you know the sort of saying things that you can never unsay that get really implanted in a person's self-consciousness um i see the the peril there so i i always err on the side of honesty as carvel said but i i would just try to stay away from things as gabe said that could make her wonder whether or not it was something about her that made this guy not want her instead of just not wanting a child at that time you know what i mean yeah i do I just think I just think that that's there's no way not to I I don't think there's any way for a kid not to wonder that that's the way kids totally are. kids are like really self centered and I don't mean that in a bad way I mean that one of the ways in which that manifests is kids think that all adult actions are because of them so when adults get divorced when adults lose their temper when adults abandon them when adults drink when adults are violent when adults are abusive kids think that it, it's because of them and that they deserve it and that's just a part of it. And, uh, and I, it's, it's like a, that's one of the reasons why we have to be so careful in our relationships with kids and why we have to manage our own emotions and behavior so diligently, because even if we're having a bad day and we think it's about us, kids will think it's about them and they will carry that message with them throughout the entire lives. And so, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm like adding to what you're saying. I agree that like you, you don't have to say like this person is shitty and he didn't want fucking want you. But I also think that that's not going to keep her from going down that road because that's the road a person goes down in this experience, period. Okay, thanks very much for the question. Um, Good luck with this conversation. Time now to take another question from a listener. This one also came to us by email. You could email us too. Uh, Again, being read by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have created a monster and not the kind who eats whining. My three-year-old drags his feet in the morning when our schedule is very tight. To combat this, one day I suggested we have a race up to his bedroom to get dressed after breakfast. I let him, quote-unquote, win. Well, now he has to win everything. He has to be the first one down the stairs in the morning. He has to be the first one in the bathroom. If my husband or I beat him at any of these things, even if we're just trying to get downstairs to let the dog out, there is a meltdown. 
I don't have time for a meltdown. And philosophically, I hate that I've instilled a win-at-all-costs notion in my kid. What's the fix here? Logic is approximately as effective as you'd imagine with a three-year-old. Thanks. All right, I'm going to take this one first because I was in your shoes like a year ago when, when Leo was three years old and he also insisted on everything being a race and he also insisted on winning. Uh, and we had this exact same problem until we realized that he may need to win, but we have the power to adjust the rules and the structure of the contest in whatever way suits our needs. And so if you need to get downstairs first because you've got to let the dog out and he's dawdling, but he doesn't want you to go down first, then as you're going downstairs first, you shout out, it's a go slow race. Second person to the bottom of the stairs wins. And then you get to the bottom of the stairs and you let the dog out and then he gets down and then you say, congratulations, you won the go slow race. Good job. Way to go. That's the practical side. On the philosophical side, I, she, the letter writer says, I hate that I've instilled a win at all costs notion in my kid. You have not instilled this notion. This is your kid trying to deal with his feeling of powerlessness. He's three years old. Everyone always beats him at everything. People around him are bigger and stronger and faster and can do all kinds of things that he can't do. He can't drive a car. He can't get to the fridge and make his own lunch. He can't. He doesn't have any power or anything at all. And so this is his way of compensating for it, and it'll last for a little while. And and just like let him do it and 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 make use of it to incentivize whatever behaviors you need to incentivize and and uh, philosophically get over yourself. <laughs> She's just uh, reshaped the tantrum. The tantrum was already happening. She's just changed the language around it, right? We talked a couple <laughs> weeks ago on the show about just like the threeness of three-year-olds and like the impossibility of just getting them to just stop. <laughs> and uh, she gave shape to it yeah. temporarily. This was, this was a Band-Aid fix. It worked for like a short period of time. But guess what? You still have a three-year-old. I mean, that's just the way that it is right now. So <laughs> I'm kind of with Gabe. I would, um, I just keep going with the Band-Aids for a while. Your, your kid sounds actually pretty susceptible. So maybe you can just find a new way to just reshape the tantrum again, find something that works, continue to ride it out. And if he is like 98% of most three-year-olds in a year. You'll be able to look back on this phase and you'll be remembering it and it'll be funny. And you'll be able to listen back to this podcast and you'll be like, oh, remember that time that we thought we created a, a winning monster and it wasn't that so great. Well, don't we wish we'd go back there because now we have a whole different kind of monster. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm with Gabe on this one. Yeah. Unfortunately, you'll still have a three-year-old tomorrow, but you won't have a three-year-old in six months or whatever. And, and so don't worry about it that much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, I want to give a shout out to this dramatic reading of this letter. This was Oscar worthy. I mean, this was I thought she really nailed all the beats. This was great. This was a great reading of the letter. S Slate IT witch Shashalena. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have much to add other than that. Like this is this is you're, you have not instilled a, an obsession with winning. You, you just have a three year old who will freak out over bizarre, crazy, seemingly to us nonsensical things and have tantrums over them and become attached to them. And that's normal for this age because kids don't have a lot of power and they really take a lot of pride in the power that they have to impact the world around them. They're just beginning to realize how little power they have in the world around them and it's driving them crazy. And that's, you know, and that's, that's normal. It's a little bit of a, 
it's a little bit of an adolescence type situation where the distance between what you envision being and the, what you are is so great that you're just perpetually uncomfortable. I think that's what teenagers are like, and I think that's what toddlers are like. And um, and so so yes, this this kid wants to find a way to win, and and when he doesn't, he freaks out because he knows that he could he could he could win at everything, and then maybe that would make things go the way he wants. And uh, so, yeah, I really like Gabe's technical suggestion of giving him winning opportunities by changing the rules of the game. You remember you are that you are in control of reality in a lot of this. You did create the situation, which means you can create it differently. You can differently design it. And uh, but I think mostly this will be something that you'll look back on and be like, remember when our kid had that weird obsession? I mean, there's, when I think about it, the obsessions are, I remember when Ezra used to get up at four 30 in the morning, every morning for like six months, he was obsessed with getting up at four 30 in the morning. It was absurd. And that was just water under the bridge. And I remember when Georgia went through this hello kitty phase and she would freak out if anything, she touched anything that didn't have hello kitty on it. If it was like a pillow or like a spoon or she'd have the hello kitty, like little <laughs> cup, you know, I'm just, Kids are weird and obsessive, and this is just your current manifestation of it. It's very difficult. It sucks, but it's going to be over soon, so you just kind of got to write it out. I think the real problem with the everything is a contest and I have to win phase is not so much the tantrums, and it's not so much the philosophical aspects. It's that there is something that actually still gets to you as an adult about losing a contest. Even if it's the world's <laughs> stupidest contest, even if it's like, even if it's your three-year-old like pushing past you and saying "I win" when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, so you lose, I win. Some part of you still actually feels that, even though you're like, "No, it's stupid. It's just going down the stairs, raising against a three-year-old. Why do I care?" But it's it's an annoying situation to be constantly losing small, meaningless contests, and and that's just the situation that you're going to have to put up with. Try and rise above it, but I, I recognize that it can yes. be more difficult than you would expect as a grown adult. Yes, and I will say too that like one of the things I've been I've been really meditating on this like this latest round of power struggles with my kids and one of the uncomfortable truths I've come to realize is that they're okay so their kids and a lot of the stuff they think I disagree with and, and they and I know that they'll that they'll see things differently in 5 years and 10 years or whatever. So then I, after they get out of the car and we've had some like tense tense fight about whatever i will find myself going why didn't i just let them believe what they believe like why did i why did i have to win that argument like what is wrong with me why am i trying to win an argument with a teenager why do i have to do that and i think that also gets to what gabe is saying there's a lot of parallels between toddlers and teenagers i'm realizing and that's another one of them is that you know that they're not fully baked. And so why are you fighting with them like they are fully baked? Let them, you know, like you can just let them win and let them do what they want and more or less just sort of let them have these little victories because they'll come around and they'll see things differently. But it's like there's a part of you that won't let it. And that's the unresolved child in the parent. And that's where <laughs> so much bad parenting comes from. So I'm, yeah, I'm getting a whole, I don't know about you guys, but I'm learning a lot from this podcast. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hope that you too, letter writer, are learning a lot from this podcast. Um, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now. To do recommendations. It's the part of the show where we recommend things. Rebecca, do you want to recommend it? something? It is that part. You want to recommend <laughs> I something? I really do want to recommend. <laughs> I do. I want to recommend this, this something. This is the time. Now, now's the moment. Um, I want to recommend something written by my illustrious podcast co-host, Carvel Wallace. I have shared this since it came out yesterday with hundreds and thousands of people, and I have gotten more feedback about this uh, than I have gotten about anything that I've shared recently. And this is Carvel's outstanding answer to a question in the care and feeding column titled, Why Can't I Yell at My Wife? She's Allowed to Emotionally Manipulate Me. And the gist of the question is, uh, this guy writes in and says, my wife and I fight a lot. And, um, you know, every parenting expert out there says it's bad to yell at each other in front of your kids. But I don't quite agree with that. I mean, and she's really emotionally manipulative. And why is that okay? And blah, 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 blah. And I am not going to tell you what Carvel's answer is. I'm going to tell you to run, don't walk to your computer, look up this column and read Carvel's answer to this question and make everyone in your life read Carvel's answer to this question. It is spectacular, useful, distills the issue down to its core. And I think it's something that not only every parent should look at, but anybody who's in a marriage should look at. So bravo to you, Carvel, for creating something that I can so heartily recommend in this ambiguously named segment in our podcast. Yeah. And for those who don't want to read it, my answer is basically, you're right. Yelling is no big deal. Women are super mostly manipulative. Go read it now. And um, that's what I wrote. It's not that. Cool. It's not that. <laughs> cool. Good stuff. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that letter, there was so much to that letter. I didn't even, that was, that's one of the longest responses I ever wrote to any letter. And I feel like I didn't even cover 10% of what this guy said that was bananas. And usually we don't answer letters where the person is so far off the rails. But this guy actually struck me as dangerous. And uh, I thought some things that he was saying, I think a lot of people run around thinking this stuff. And I thought that that needed addressing on like a public platform. Uh, we'll put that uh, we'll put that column on our show page uh, which you can get to through the Facebook group go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting Um, I'm also going to recommend an article wasn't written by either of my co-hosts it was in the New Yorker magazine Uh, it's by Joshua Rothman and it's called The Art of Decision Making and it starts out as just the most typical contemporary New Yorker article imaginable where it starts with an anecdote about Charles Darwin deciding whether or not to get married. And it's about like the psychology of how we make decisions and the science of looking at how we make decisions. And I have a fair appetite for this kind of article. But as I was reading it, I was thinking I this I don't know that I have time for this anymore. This kind of stuff I used to read a lot maybe 10 years ago. But as it goes further, it narrows down to being about the decision to have a child or not to have a child. And it uses that as, as an example of the kind of decision that like before you decide whether or not to have a child, you know that your life will be completely different, whichever of these two paths you take, 
but you don't know what it will be like down either path. I mean, you have experience of not having a child because you don't have one, but you know that having a child will be profound and you'll experience these intense feelings because people have told you that and you've observed it, but you can't actually know what that experience is like until you go through it. And yet you have to make the decision before you get to have that experience that might be, uh, that, that might weigh on one side or the other of the decision. And then it evolves from there into just an extremely lovely essay about the experience of being a parent and how ineffable and unknowable it is and, and how profound and important and about that decision and how it works. Um, so I, I was pleasantly surprised by the turn that this essay took and, and it, it feels much more moving and meaningful, uh, than I thought it was going to, uh, and also much more relevant to this, our parenting podcast. Um, I will also put that on the show page, et cetera. Uh, Carvel, what about you? What do you recommend? I am recommending an app location that we use as a family for money management called Current, C-U-R-R-E-N-T. And the way Current works is that your kids basically get, it's kind of like a budgeting starter kit for kids. Um, your kids get an actual debit card, a current card, and then um, you, the four, everyone in the family has a shared um, kind of like dashboard where you can add money to your kid's account, take money away from your kid's account, presumably. Presumably, although we haven't had to do that, and you, whenever they use their card, you can see all of their transactions, uh, and uh, you can see how much balance they have, and you can add more money or subtract it. And you can also do chore-based stuff. So there's like a, a a function in the app that allows you to set up chores and then attach monetary amounts to them, and then when they complete the chores, you then check it off, and then that money is deposited in your in their account, in their current account from your the parent's account. But it's a great way to like do money management, teach kids about budgeting. They can see how much there is. They see a record of the transactions. It's also good for that situation that arises a lot when kids are teenagers where they're like, they're at the mall and they want to like rent a bike, but they don't, and you're at home and you're not anywhere near about to go drive down there to help that. You can just sort of make money happen for them instantly. Um, but to me so far, the favorite, my favorite part is seeing all the transactions <laughs> that my kids do. It's like Taco Bell, Taco Bell, potato chips, potato chips, soda, Taco Bell, Taco Bell, <laughs> cookies, Taco Bell. <laughs> of course it is. What else would it be? <laughs> They're they're teenagers, um, and so yeah. So that's the app I'm recommending. Current. That's our show for today. Slate Plus members, stick around to hear us talk about Thin Mints, how much I love them, whether or not the whole thing's a scam. If you have a question that you want us to address, uh, you can send us an email, momanddad at slate.com, or leave us a voicemail, 424-255-7833. If you're not in the Facebook group yet, what the hell are you waiting for? I talk about it every week in the strongest possible terms. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch -ch
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.